Hello, everyone. <laughs> Bow and a wave. It's a good combination. I've, I've been so um, uh, gratified to see when Suzanne and Joel uh, came on recently uh, to lead. They, they both said the same thing that I say of what a powerful experience it is to see everyone populating uh, the, the screen. We all see it. It's very interesting sitting in this seat and watching everyone arrive. In this way, it's really beautiful. <clears throat> so let's begin uh, a bit of sitting with, uh, with the feeling of us, but we all sitting together, which we know, but it's nice to, it's nice to make it intentional. <clears throat>
And remember that we sit with our body. This is the foundation of our actual presence in this world and in your life. It's your body. So as we sit and if your awareness was solely on your posture and your breath, that would be enough as a way of appreciating your life, the actual reality of your present moment embodiedness. we very quickly can move to our thoughts and imagination and dreams and wishes and concerns. And those will continue. But as we sit with and as our body and our breath, we can reflect on the qualities of our mind, rather than identifying as them. We can watch the story go by instead of believing we are that story. And they're very compelling. And we've practiced identifying with them for so long, it's interesting to practice not pushing them away, denying or even being degrading toward them just simply stepping back and watching and attending with our body. And similarly with your heart, what's the feeling, the condition of your heart right now? And not simply the emotionality of whatever you might feel, but also, can you feel the front of your heart and its connection with the world, its openness or its closeness? The back of your heart? what it reveals or obscures, or what's the condition? And we attend in our metta practice And we say, may our body or may your bodies, may all of our bodies be at ease. <clears throat> An aspiration to be at ease in this body, in this life. We say, may our hearts be open with an aspiration to connect with ourselves and with others and with all of life. with the compassion of a heart that meets what's not open, with openness in ourselves and in others. And then we also say, may our minds be boundless, touching on our Buddha nature, that spacious, inconceivable, beyond ordinary thought, patterns, which are mostly habitual, beyond thought. With the aspiration that our bodies, which feel so many things, 
and experience so many things. Sometimes difficult or devastating, sometimes beautiful and ecstatic. May these bodies be at ease in all of it. May our hearts be open to ourselves and each other, even as they struggle and falter and meet things that don't feel like openness. And may we come to know better our boundless capacity of our minds, the natural great perfection and fullness of Buddha's mind as, as our mind. And with all of this, may we have the aspiration that we all together share awakening because this is what it looks like in a human life, in a human body. This is actually the natural state, not a special state, not an elevated state, a refined or purified state. It's the natural state. This is how we are made. And when we sit, it's the enactment of returning to that natural state of uprightness and silence and stillness and fullness. With all of the everyday human feelings and experience swirling within it at the same time. And so we invite the chant of the robe to remind us vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. last few weeks as we've begun to hear from uh, some of our entrusted teachers. I've been really inspired and encouraged and touched, as I hope some of you have been. Um, Suzanne began to speak about uh, refuge. <clears throat> A refuge in life as it is, in this embodied way that I've been speaking about. And and in some ways, renunciation, I followed up with some ideas about renunciation, uh, not of things, but of our unwholesome stories, letting go and returning as we did in our uh, zazen. And this taking refuge, dropping um, so many of our stories and ideas, it's both an orientation that practice offers us, it orients us, and a set of skills or embodied activities that has been demonstrated in the lives of at least my mentors and my teachers. I've It's been enacted in front of me. So it would begin to wake me up, and this is what we do 
when we practice with each other. Sometimes it looks more psychological, some teachers and some people, and sometimes more spiritual, if you want to call it that. But as Suzanne reminded us, it's important to identify by this return and through renunciation to identify what we have to offer, to attend to what's needed around us, and then to act like her example of Sujata by identifying that the young Siddhartha Gautama was in trouble um, and attending to what was needed by off- making the offering to him instead of at the temple and acting, actually doing something. And that that's where the wheel of Dharma is turned. In that kind of relational context, Joel spoke about uh, the embodied examples of wholesome qualities that he was kind enough to reflect on, certainly um, with some of his teachers, including Peg and and me, but also the teachers that had come before that I I had mentioned. These are, and these admirable qualities that he spoke about shone through in the lives of of my my teachers, which, which, which I reflected on, and then which I followed as best I could. And sometimes, of course, even copied just like in the old days as an artist would copy a master's uh, artwork in an apprentice way because it, it's, it's a way of following an example these good qualities catch your attention i think i've mentioned i may not have spoken about it when i first met so many of the teachers at san francisco zen center where i was beginning to train and I I saw each teacher expressing their their beauty and, and their confidence and their offerings. But it was one morning in, in service in the Buddha Hall when I saw Blanche being the head um, uh, priest in, in leading service called the Doshi in, in a Zen temple. And the way that she took off away her bowing cloth, which is under your sleeves and your arm and spread it and did her bows there was something arresting about that physical activity, an embodied activity, with great dignity and care, with strength and vulnerability. She was embodying these qualities in front of me, and that's what caught my eye. And it's like, whatever that is, I, I want to know that. So in some ways, I wanted to be like her, or call that good quality, like Joel was talking about, forward in me. And there are other teachers I saw that were were wonderful teachers, uh, but I didn't want to follow someone just because they looked good or because I would look good following them. And sometimes we have that. Uh, I want to be like them to like be a fake, you know, Dalai Lama, somebody, (laughs) or uh, that being associated with them, it'll make me look good, which is basically basking in the basking in the narcissistic glow of the other. Uh, not a wholesome state. I wanted to find out what that dignity and uprightness and vulnerability and strength look like uh, through my own body. And this is the key in what both Suzanne and Joel were talking about, is how do we make practice our own? How do we integrate and metabolize the teachings? Like when you take in food and nourishment and it becomes your cells, it becomes who you are. So that the teachings then come through you rather than someone else or your attempt to be someone else. And you see this in each person that comes forward. The same teachings, the same beauty, but there's a a Suzanne-ness or a Joel-ness or a Peg-ness or Flint, or that sh- it comes through in their each person's way. I think this is what Suzuki Roshi meant when he said, when you are you, then Zen is Zen. I want to just very briefly reflect on something that we don't speak about very much, and sometimes it's It's almost like it's just a part that is passed through 
in the precepts and jukai ceremonies when people are taking the, the precepts to formally engage the bodhisattva path. You don't have to know some of this esoteric stuff, but there are the, the precepts that we study, some of which are, we can say that in a prohibitory way or an inspiring way, but they have to do with, you know, not stealing and not lying and not intoxicating self and not misusing sexuality and not harming those basic kind of things. But before that list of the specific enacted precepts that we study, there are what are called the, the three pure precepts that come before. <clears throat> Pardon me. And sometimes those aren't spoken of quite as much because they're the, the orientation. They're actually the fullness of the precepts in, in the largest, largest way. And there is a sentence in them, the precepts or jukai ceremony that comes before or as the preceptor is offering. And here's the formal language that the person who's officiating would say to the people who are uh, either taking the rece uh, precepts or receiving them from, from a teacher. You have returned to your original nature, free from attachments and limited ways. From now on, awakening is your teacher. All beings are your teacher. This is the path of mercy for all existence. And then there's a question, do you agree to follow this compassionate path of the three treasures uh, because you've just taken refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, Suzanne talked about. And the disciples uh, hopefully say, yes, we will. <clears throat> and then the three pure precepts. But first, before I say them, those, that introduction is quite beautiful. You have returned to your original nature. by your intention, by your practice, by your study of the precepts, there's a return to what's most true about you, free from attachments and limited ways. Of course you're not, uh, they're, they're not all gone, but you're, you return to the original nature, which is free of attachments and free from limited ways, even as you live in a limited body full of attachments. From now on, awakening is your teacher. You find your teacher in that refuge and all beings are your teacher. And then that beautiful poetic line, this is the path of mercy for all existence. And I'll say more about that. And here is one translation of the three pure precepts. Once again, they're orient orienting principles. One, I vow to refrain from all harming. I vow to do what is life-giving. And then the third one, which is really powerful and big, I vow to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. And since you're all on mute, see what it's like, like trying on a jacket or something. See what it's like to say them after I say it. Say it out loud wherever you are, just to see what it's like. What is it like when you say, I, you're not committing to anything here. I vow to refrain from all harming. See how that lands. I vow to do what is life-giving. I vow to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. I vow to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? So what does this actually look like? Well, this is what we've been talking about. And I'm going to very briefly um, bring forward um, a quote from the uh, edited uh, talks of, of Joko Beck that just came out, the current uh, volume called Ordinary Wonder. And this is a small piece that's very early on, the first few pages of the book. And it was brought by Sandra uh, Medina Bocanjal to one of our practice discussion groups. She brought it as a prompt for our group. And 
it's been echoing through me, and I know it was for Joel and some others. Um, and it's in a little segment called The Secret of Transformation. You can find it quite easily. And one of the things that is important to know is that Joko would say things in her own way. Remember, the Dharma was coming through her, in her way. Not through Maizumi Roshi's way, her entrusted teacher's way, or somebody else's. And she wouldn't, my, this is my perspective, she wouldn't speak in exactly a contemporary psychological way, although her teachings were more psychological than many Zen teachers. And she also wouldn't necessarily teach in a classical Buddhist way either. However, you know, you can easily read the deep thread of Zen practice in her language and even translate every one of her messages through the lens of psychology or, or IFS, for example. But to me, and maybe it's because the time I spent with her uh, and when Peg took me and introduced me was late in her life, our few meetings, her voice was like a fierce grandmother. Clear, penetrating, yet compassionate and loving, but without sentiment. Here's an example that I wanted to share with you. Just, I mean, I'm going to just excerpt just a few sentences and then I'll make some comments about it. Here are the sentences that I've, I've pulled out and then I'll, I'll go back. We have a life that is happening all the time. A wonderful, fluid, amazing life, which we may like or dislike, but there it is, all the time. And we have a very fixed, narrow, little set of behaviors with which we try to process this vast experience. The secret of experience the whole of life is just to be whatever we are experiencing. Just to be whatever we're experiencing. When we let go of our thought-based personal desire for things to work out a particular way, for the first time, the pain that we feel begins to open up. And when it opens up, the feelings get clear and quiet. And at the end, there's silence and wonder. Finally, there's not nothing, just wonder. Underneath all of our difficulties, there's this well of silence, which is real wisdom. Whatever you want to call it, it's there. So direct, isn't it? And that first segment where she says, we have a life that's happening all the time, this great life, you might like it or dislike it. And then we have this set of little behaviors and, and habits that we use to try to process the vastness. Taking refuge, returning to our original nature is to return to, to deep uh, gratitude for what it means to actually have a life, to have a life at all, and to feel the innate longing to open to its fullness. Isn't this what brought most of us to practice? To feel the limitations of how we meet life? to somehow be amazed that we have one at all and to, to have this desire to open to its fullness. We know there's something off. That's the first noble truth, Dukkha. You have returned to original nature free from attachments and limited ways. So what that sentence is suggesting. Then the next phrase from Joko where she says, the secret of experiencing the whole of life is just to be whatever we're experiencing. It seems like a, a simple, oh, just that, just to be whatever we're experiencing. But this is refuge. This is renunciation. This is what we're talking about, becoming a larger container through which life can flow as we open up beyond just our habitual behaviors. 
it's not some, like, this is the thing. It's not some mystical oneness with the all. I mean, we touch that sometimes, but that's a little abstract. What does it look like? It looks like the list of qualities that Joel offered. It looks like generosity, dignity, kindness, a sense of optimism, a gentle patience, a curiosity, courage, and finally, vulnerability and love. These are all the things he spoke about. That's what being whatever we're experiencing looks like. That's the secret of experiencing the wholeness of life. And in the precept ceremony where it says, from now on, awakening is your teacher, all beings are your teacher. This is what's pointing to. And then that final piece from Joko, when she says, we can let our thought-based personal desires, for it's always go my way, <laughs> open up. Then the pain that we feel because of that begins to get a little clearer and a little more quiet. The attachments get a little softer. And at the end, there's room for silence and wonder. And she says, finally, nothing but the wonder, which is her way of talking about the foundation of primary awareness, I think. Underneath all our difficulties, there's this wellness of, well of silence, <laughs> wellness also, a well of silence, which is real wisdom. Now that's a little hard to understand sometimes, and yet you can feel it as true. And then she says it in her own Joko way. She says, whatever you want to call it, it's there. And that whenever, whatever you want to call it is Buddha nature, enlightenment, awakening, Christ consciousness, oneness with the universe, the all. And in the precept ceremony, that final line, this is the path of mercy for all existence. So once again, to ground it, one of my students in the UK wrote this when I asked them to uh, reflect on the precept study, to give me a sense of what it was like to do the precept study before we engaged the precept ceremony. And this is what they wrote. At this time, there's a growing sense of yes inside, a willingness a desire to meet everything, a sense of an integrative process or, or the beginnings of such, so that whilst my busy analytical mind might run off in one direction and my heart may be leaping in another, there's this growing sense of a larger something that can see all these different movements. And whilst not holding anything, yet it holds a center somehow. It's incredibly difficult to capture it in a net of words, that which will not be captured. Isn't that beautiful? It's such a lovely teaching. But this is the essence of refuge, of renunciation, of these great qualities. So just, you know, you know, mercy is not a word we use a lot these days. Um, it's, it's the compassion and kindness shown by someone um, who has power maybe over another, even to harm them or something. And there is a great humility and forgiving nature expressed through mercy. Mercy requires this willingness that the student talked about, a willingness. While grace, on the other hand, is kind of a generous goodwill freely given, neither asked for nor deserved, but, but freely and fully given. Grace expresses this larger something and human intimacy. And together, they form the path of mercy for all existence. And this is our practice. So some of what an inquiry we focus on are what are the contractions? What are the barriers? What's the small things that you're using to try to meet this larger 
vast existence that you wish to open so that the pain opens up, so that the path of mercy shows itself for you, and that you can be a benefit to others. So please bring your questions, your reflections about this, so we can meet them. Um, this is the path of mercy on which you hold hands and walk. And all you have to do is raise your hand. And Judah did so wonderfully. Basically, this is an experiment because this is something that I never do. <laughs> Which has come forward like this, you mean? Yeah, and, and be the first one too. My gosh. There's the willingness. Is... <laughs> the willingness. Um, and it's, it's not as frightening as I thought it would be. Oh, so let, let's use what we started with. How's your body? It's sort of, I can feel energy. I can feel, I was going to say tingly, but that's not quite right. Do you feel the aliveness? Yes. Yes, I do. Good. And how's your mind? Uh, <laughs> What's the quality of thought or cognition? Yeah. Um, wonder. Oh, so there's a lot of wonder there. And you had that reflection you already said of, oh, this isn't what I thought it would be. Yeah. I mean, that's where the wonder arises. How's your heart? It's beating pretty hard. <laughs> That's your physical heart, yeah. Yes. So you have a lot of aliveness moving. Well, it's certainly more open than it was a few minutes ago, or than I was aware that it was a few minutes ago. So say that again, at least say it with the first person pronoun. I am more. I am. I'm not. I I'm don't more quite. Open. You said okay. it's more open. Okay. I am more open. And I feel energy moving. Yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> so how's the experiment going? Well, I noticed just then I wanted to say back to you, um, well, I'll try to believe that. <laughs> and then I. Hmm? You don't have to. But you can be intimate. You can have mercy for the one who doesn't believe it. And in part, that's what made me want to do this is that um, negative voice that I hear limiting me so much of the time, it just wants to be uh, seen and loved. That's right. It's afraid. So this is the path of mercy on which you walk hand in hand with that part instead of trying to banish her or him. Mm -hmm. Yes. We continue that. Yes. And in the precept ceremony, the part I didn't say because it wasn't appropriate, there's a place in which it says, and will you continue this merciful path even after awakening? Thank you. You're welcome. I will. Thank you for your willingness and your, your embodying all the things we just talked about. So good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you. I, um, I think this is such a wonderful, um, a wonderful understanding, this, a sense of mercy. So I was thinking a little bit about the spaciousness of that and about how empowering it is to have the capacity uh, for mercy for oneself as well as for someone else and how different that is from forgiveness. Yeah, it's a close cousin, but it's different. It's different, yeah. And so I, um, I was thinking you might say just a little bit more about that quality of mercy, uh, the, how expansive it is and, yeah. and how um, connecting it is. I'm, I'm glad you 
you mentioned that and as it's resonating between the two of us in, in this, um, first I want to say before I say more about it is I think it's part of the, um, the space that's created in the transmission process. Mm-hmm. But that's actually what we're doing. Yeah, I think so. Ceremony is an act. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about this um, this word and this quality and the spaciousness that you're asking about because I remember this beautiful line that I was quoting from the precept ceremony and also a quote which I've used in inquiry before from Richard Rohr where he talks about in his own way uh, returning to one's true nature and he's and then he uses a phrase that just stunned me and this is the one I've been working with as a koan in a way he called it he said, we become a riverbed of mercy. And why I love that so much is it doesn't say we become the river of mercy. Mm-hmm. We become the container through which it all can flow. And that's, I think, a beautiful description of the Bodhisattva path. That yes, it's forgiving, um, but it's also, actually I said when I, in the definition, it's profoundly... Um, full of humility mm-hmm. because it doesn't take the power and use it. It's, yeah. it's a great time of humility and a willingness to see and understand um, and, and deepen a relationship where it would be easier to cut off. And it's a little different than grace because it has a willingness and, and, a, and an intentionality about it. That's I love that idea of the riverbed that um, yeah. because a riverbed is muddy and strewn with rocks and has plants growing in it and, um, and the mercy is flowing through all of that. And when things come, it can hold it and flow. Sometimes it overflows, but it can take it and then maybe it will go dry again. But there's, it's, it's alive, it's dynamic, and it's a space, mm-hmm. not a thing. That's a really nice metaphor. Yeah. I'm thinking, uh, I've been working with it a lot and, and thinking this might be, might be a thing about which to write more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for noticing and bringing it forward. And thank you for the riverbed of mercy that you're offering to me. <laughs> How about you, my friend? And to you. Hi, Chris. Hi, Flint. When you quoted Richard Rohr before, I remember you saying the quote a little bit differently, that we carve out a riverbed of mercy. And to me, that gave a very different image of there being a process that we go through of carving that out, mm-hmm. um, which could be instant enlightenment, or it could be, I guess for most of us, the, the work of a lifetime. Well, <clears throat> These things are both an orientation and return to what's most natural. Yeah. And they're a set of skills and practices that we engage. I'm speaking about the relative and absolute. Right. And so these two ways of speaking are the relative and absolute. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. The, car- the carving is our practice. Yes. But, yeah. actually, but actually it's there. The topography and the elements that made the Grand Canyon were just there. Did a carving happen? Causing conditions result in something, but it's all from the natural state of each thing. Good. And that's full of wonder. That enriches that image even more. Good. What I actually raised my hand for was um, in the past week, you you know, I've had, I've been having a, I've been having a tough struggle with living in this world as it has changed and as it's been revealed Mm -hmm. to be. And I had a rapid series of encounters with that um, all all online as most of my life is but um, 
I, what it add, added up to was that I couldn't, I can no longer support my trust that the people I meet um, are rational or reasonable or kind or Christian, even as they say that they're Christian. Um, I just can't support it anymore. And my, when this hit me, <laughs> the image I had was a shotgun blast to the face. Not that it injured me, but it threw me back against a wall and I, I was stunned. And I don't, I don't know where to go with that. Um, Can I make a comment about it? Please. You read these stories about old Zen masters, you know, hitting their students or something happening, you know, something. And then the follow-up is, and then they opened to something or were enlightened or were. This is the power of renunciation unasked for. What you're doing is dropping a lot of your expectations that you clung to, even if they seem like positive and wholesome expectations. Right. And what's the path of mercy for all existence now? Even if you have to abandon hopes, dreams, ideas you had about certain things and not fall into despair or, a dis dis you know, a disturbing place. It's disturbing to let go. And this is a longer thing. This is not something we'll answer here, but this is the column. What is the, what is the path of mercy for all existence when you let go of all those things you hoped for? All those things you used to basically take refuge in and, you, and you're realizing you can't take refuge in those anymore. Right. And so you're actually being asked to go deeper, not to go into despair or nihilism. And that's an easy one from a psychological point of view. <laughs> it doesn't feel easy. It isn't. Um, this is hard. This is you're being pushed against the wall in a powerful way, like you said. And you I can did use it as a way to crumble, or you can use it as a way to go deeper. I don't feel myself crumbling. I recognized it. I pretty quickly recognized that, yes, this is a, a renunciation. This is something that this is a fierce letting go, a yes. fierce renunciation. Right. Um, and, but this doesn't, it, it also felt like a, just an alienation from the world. The world is not what I, thought it was what I ever is for all of us. And there's an immense grief that we have to face if we're going to come to this kind of truth. Because what we're like going up, going up is all those ways we wished it would have been or felt we were entitled to. And every person who is quote on the other side or looks like something different is feeling the same thing. But we don't need to get into all that. We need to stay right. with you finding what's opening even as all these other things are falling away and body and mind drop away in this way what it opens to you and that's something i want you to stay with and practice with and keep coming forward with like this because that's how we navigate it this is how yeah. we hold hands on this path of mercy i have the first vague glimmerings of something opening up yeah. but I'm not pushing toward that. I'm just staying with what I'm experiencing and feeling. Be the riverbed for it. Yeah. Let it flow. Thank you. Thank you. It's very important to bring things like this forward. Hello, Flint. I wanted to comment on a couple of things. I was really struck with your um, offering us the three precepts and having us try them on. And I recognize them from the entrustment ceremony. 
And I've often wondered, and I've talked with you about this before, how profound the entrustment ceremony was for me, yeah. even though it was online. And yeah. I was really concerned that it would be going through the motions. Uh-huh. Yeah, it would be kind of a ceremony light. Yeah, exactly. But with you bringing, uh, bringing that to us today, I realized that it was in the taking of the precepts that was what the profoundness was. It yes. didn't matter that it was online. It didn't matter that you know there were not there were not many people around us. Although I'm really glad for my two friends and my my partner were there um, because they just they really held the container for me. But it was it was that process of taking the precepts in that way and receiving them in that way. That's what mattered. Yes, you know, that's going to be in some ways the focus of the uh, Awakening Together retreat with a group in Minneapolis that's coming up. I know a lot mm -hmm. of you know about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the precepts, Zazen and the precepts, pretty much the whole Zen path, if you want to, in some ways. I'm looking at Peg's face to see if she's shaking her head or not. <laughs> you know, everything else comes out of that. If you don't have those, it's not our practice, you know. Right. And especially you, you the feel third, it. You get it. You know it to be true. Especially the third one, to be to live for and, and be lived by. Yeah, to live and be lived by. By yes. 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 So it's that both expressive and receptive function. Mm -hmm. The yin and the yang of both being a concave receptor for the world and also a convex expressor, mm -hmm. I, and yeah. not to be caught. Even as I'm, I said that to you right now, I felt it welling in my heart. Right. And you're so much about embodiment, always coming back to the body so you know it to be true. You can right. feel it. Right. Yeah. So thank you for that, Flint. The second thing I want to say is a number of years ago, I adopted a greeting to, to give to my friends or family when I know they were traveling. And it came from the writer Annie Lamott. Mm -hmm. who got it from her African-American minister. So it's, I think it's a Southern phrase, and it is traveling mercies. Right. Mm -hmm. Traveling mercies. And when I give it, I always think about it as the mercies are the support that provide, hopefully, the flow of easy travel, mm -hmm. easy movement forward, however that's going to be. So. I, mercies has been part of my life for quite a long time. Well, you see that as the the bodhisattva because it's the traveling through our entire life, mm -hmm. and the mercies that all uh, move us along and, and, are, and accompany us through that. That's great. I love that, and I remember yeah. her using that phrase. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you. I hope I uh, reflected on your talk and your statements mm -hmm. accurately. Very nicely. Thank, thank you. you. Mm -hmm. Welcome, Francis. Okay. You're good now. I'm not very tech, tech I'm getting more technological. No, I mostly, we all are. <laughs> I mostly wanted to come forward to meet you. I've been popping in now for a couple of months and uh, and this unknown person, I don't know very, very many people in the group, but I, have, I was invited by a friend in the Little Rock group. Where, where are you physically located? <laughs> I'm in uh, Arkansas. Uh -huh. Where? I'm uh, Fayetteville. Fayetteville, yeah. I've been to uh -huh. Fayetteville. I I worked with um, the one of the cancer treatment centers there as a consultant. I, I wish you would come back. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to get where where I'm going to be able to travel. I actually lived in Little Rock for 30 years and moved up here uh, f about six years ago. Well, I guess. You forward it's good to see you after hearing judith right in the beginning yeah i, I know judith uh, yeah not really but no know who she is but i just wanted to say how much the your direct language uh, the beautiful language uh, always speaks to me i leave every week with a calm peaceful feeling and usually something that i share with someone else during the week so Absolutely. Uh, 
it's been very, uh, very good for me. And grace and mercy are what I consider to be my religion. Yeah. That's, that's all I can count on. <laughs> that's good enough. It's worth a lifetime. Yes. So we're, thank we're, you for being here. And Well, thank you for stepping forward and uh, connecting so I can not only just see your face uh, and see your name, but hear your voice and to know how we're connected because yes. we're connected in ways that I couldn't know in some ways. True. Uh, well, but, and it, it is a bit intimidating to come forward in this group. And I was uh, <laughs> trying to decide what that is. And I think it's because of the attention that comes across from everyone, uh, even on Zoom. It's powerful, uh, you, isn't it? It's powerful. Yeah, you feel you feel that connection. Yeah, and and tell me if I'm on track here, but and I've said this in many ways, really. But the usually our deepest longing as humans is for people to offer us their, their warm and loving attention. Yes, and it's the thing we're the most afraid of. And it's and it's rare. That we meet, it's rare that it's actually authentic and immediate and real. And I hope, my greatest, greatest hope is that through this process, we call it forward and offer it through each other. I feel um, that. Necessary. And I'm glad you're saying that it, that it translates, even though you actually haven't been in the physical presence of most of these people. None. None. And, and yet, and yet you both feel the generosity and the nourishment and even the potency, which is a little arresting. So that's, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to know. I'm glad it's here. Thank you for stepping forward. Thank you. Stay with us, invite your friends, you know, who knows? <laughs> well, party, party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yes. And if you happen to look in the chat, you can see many people greeting you if you know how to do that. So, so it looks as if we're at the, uh, just in the last moment of our time together. <clears throat> you know, when we chant the four practice principles, uh, and when I was offering you the three pre precepts to uh, repeat after me, and Suzanne was talking about how powerful it was, it's really useful to use your voice. Uh, and you don't, and one of the beautiful things about Zoom is that nobody's going to hear you. So you can stumble along and make mistakes and nobody cares because nobody can hear you. And if you work to say these things by memory instead of just reading them or not saying them because you don't know them, tr try it out. This is, this is practice. This is stumbling through life by offering yourself to something to see if you can embody it. That's practice. So please uh, enjoy using using your voice it makes a difference and you're uh you know nobody's going to worry about it because nobody can hear you so it's really a great opportunity to stumble along and you'll you'll learn them faster than you they realize and so notice how um, all of joko's teachings that we mention and all the things that we've been reflecting on are uh, echoed when we say caught in the self-centered dream only suffering holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you for all of your willingness and all of your uh, presence, because uh, you can hear from other people that it touches them. This is uh, the Riverbed of Mercy. Jessica.
Apamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support makes a huge difference. Um, there's a link for contributions on the website and I'll paste that link here as well. Please do indicate on the form whether you'd like the contribution to go specifically to a teacher or to a program or just to Apamata in general. Thank you so much, everyone. And now I will hand it over to Maria, who will be uh, staying for the after inquiry portion. Thank you. <laughs>